handle the readout. A speaker has not been elected. 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 Ah, yes, the circus is still in town, and the group of 20 serial insurrectionists opposing Kevin McCarthy, they are right about one thing. This man has no business being Speaker of the House. If he can't navigate his way through the basic vote to get the job, he is not remotely capable of leading, especially a radical caucus filled with this iteration of Republicans. And we do begin tonight with the never-ending Republican fight over the next hour, the never-ending Republican fight for Speaker. Over the next hour, um, Kevin McCarthy should be wise to learn this one lesson because he's going to be facing this hell over the next hour. Any tolerance of insurrection just breeds more insurrection. Second thing he needs to learn, that the least surprising thing on earth is that people who do not believe that the majority of voters should decide an election will also not agree that 90% of their House caucus should decide who the speaker is. In the next hour, as I mentioned, the House will return to try to get done what they could not do earlier on this Groundhog Day of voting. But beyond showing us in real time Kevin's inability to do the job, this dumpster fire tied to the roof of a car wreck that's hanging over a steep cliff is also making it clear that the 20 Republicans keeping Congress paralyzed are just digging in. On his second day of humiliation, McCarthy was iced out while those 20 backed a new candidate, one of their own, Florida Congressman Byron Donalds, who previously supported McCarthy. In nominating Donalds, a black Republican, for the third time today, on the sixth vote for Speaker, House Freedom Caucus Chair Scott Perry, one of the January 6th coup plotters who tried to subvert the Department of Justice to overthrow the last election, precisely because Republicans do not trust the results when black voters get their way, added something about Frederick Douglass, because of course he did. And he justified paralyzing the House because Washington is broken. And I would say this. I think the person that has done the most, that has done the most to make this fabulous, this wonderful Republican majority, is Speaker Pelosi and her policies. That's what has achieved this majority over here because the American people are sick and tired of it and they've had enough of it. Now this is not about, this is not about personalities. We believe and we want to believe. An objectively false statement since he is bashing the former speaker by name on the floor. But whatever, man. Meanwhile, Florida Congresswoman Matt Kamak took her own dig at Democrats as she nominated Kevin McCarthy in the same vote. But they want us divided. They want us to fight each other. That much has been made clear by the popcorn and blankets and alcohol that is coming over there. The house is not in order. Hard to believe young people don't want to be Republicans with that kind of a display. Of course, Kevin McCarthy seems intent on proving that he is a glutton for punishment because his situation has not gotten better. The only movement has been away from him as Indiana Republican Victoria Spratz switched her vote to simply present. 
In the face of a united front from Democrats, the Republican ruins were on full display on the floor between each of today's three rounds of voting as members of the holdout gang, including an especially animated Matt Gates, faced off with McCarthy supporters. The most infamous Republican member-elect, George Santos, did try to get in on the action. Meanwhile, in a sign that the frustration among Republicans is boiling over, Colorado Congressman Ken Buck said McCarthy needs to strike a deal or step aside. The smart thing to do is to uh, get together, uh, have a conversation, choose somebody, and, and let's move forward. Who might that be? Well, I think the next in line is Steve Scalise. Um, and I don't know if Steve gets more or, or less. Um, I think that at some point we've got to start looking at the uh, rules and, and the committee assignments and other things and uh, just get back to the, the basics of, of what people, what their self-interest is in this case, and uh, meet some of those interests and, and hopefully get the votes. Joining me now is Sahil Kapoor, NBC News senior national political reporter, Brendan Buck, former chief communications advisor to former Speaker Paul Ryan, and MSNBC political analyst, and Tara Setmeyer, a senior advisor to the Lincoln Project, who worked as a Republican communications director on Capitol Hill. Thank you all for being here. Sahil, I'm going to start with you at the table. What's the latest uh, on the Hill, and where stand these 20, uh, including Matt Gates, who apparently has been quite animated about his lack of uh, respect for Kevin McCarthy? Well, Matt Gates is not backing down. There's no indication that any of the 20 rebels are backing down, and they are prepared to keep this going and vote and vote and vote. Uh, Matt Gates just a few hours ago told our uh, NBC Capitol Hill team that he's prepared to vote, quote, until the cherry blossoms fall off the trees, unquote, which I suppose would be April. Um, <laughs> there's also no sign that the McCarthy supporters are backing down because they're 90 percent of the caucus. They're furious with these rebels. They don't blame McCarthy, which is why he's willing to go forth and do this again and again and again. That's a bit of a disconnect between what some Democrats think, which is, you know, this is a humiliation for him. This is an embarrassment. That's not how he sees it. That's not how 90 percent of his caucus sees it. They worry that if they cave to this, you know, this 10 percent right now, which Kat Kamek yesterday, when I talked to her, called the radical 2 percent, that this sets the table for the next two years, that they're going to be calling the shots on everything. And that makes it impossible to govern. So they're determined to stand still. I see stalemate as far as the eye can see. One Republican aide who was closely involved with this, who I was texting with a couple of hours ago, said there's no sign that Kevin McCarthy is tapping out they're going to return at eight. It looks like they're going to keep voting. And we're going to see what, if anything, changes. And just doing the exact same thing. Brendan Buck, thanks for being uh, on the show tonight. Uh, you know, uh, Kat Kamek, who basically her whole speech was fentanyl border, fentanyl border b- uh, Biden. You know, so the, it doesn't there's no ideological difference between her and the 20 people who are refusing to vote for Kevin McCarthy. So in your view, this I mean, to me, it just looks like they're torturing Kevin McCarthy because they just hate the guy. Where, how do you see it? Yeah, they want to get a scalp. And look, this is much bigger than than Kevin McCarthy. And and there are a few of those folks who just hate Kevin. And that's just what it comes down to. Matt Gates is never going to vote for Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy, if he becomes speaker, will will get there without Matt Gates. But this is much more about who is in charge of this conference. And this is a dynamic that I faced when I was on the Hill. It, it, it's been building for, for 10, 12 years, a small rump group of conservatives no more really policy conservative, as you, as you noted, than the rest of the group, just completely uncompromising and living what I basically think of as a, as a fantasy world, this, this alternate reality where you never have to compromise, you never give in on anything, you just fight and you only accept conservative things. Uh, and, and they have this mindset that, we're, that leadership is weak and they've been basically upending our plans for, for over a decade now. And the rest of the conference says we can't bow to them. Kevin McCarthy is the one who's, who's on the ballot here. But what's what's really at stake for them is whether they are finally going to stand up 
to these 20 if they're going to allow uh, 10% to control the other 90% of the conference. And as long as that's the debate, then they might be willing to stand there and fight for them as long as they want, because I don't think these people want to be pushed around by this group who's been, again, screwing up their plans for, for over a decade. You know, and Tara, it, it, one of the points I think is, is that people have not understood that the Tea Party movement was not about wanting to change government. It was wanting to undo government. It was wanting to undo, you know, as I mean, as Brenda just made the point, there is this belief among people who don't know anything about the way the government works, that the only reason they can't just blow through the debt ceiling, slash government to the size you can throw it in a bathtub, end the Department of Education, get rid of the IRS, and that the reason those things aren't happening is that Republican leadership is too weak to do the things that they claim most Americans want. That you could really just go over the debt ceiling, crash the economy, there'd be no consequences, and the only reason they won't crash the economy is they're too weak. And so this group, this clack of Republicans who believe in that fantasy world, you could make Matt Gates a speaker. He's still going to have to do the debt limit deal. He's still going to have to do it. Any of them would have to do it. And so do you think that's part of it? Is that, you know, as Brendan said, it, it is a state of unreality and they don't care if it just destroys their party. Yeah, you know, Brendan is right that this has been in the making for over a decade. I was up on the Hill when the Tea Party movement swooped in, and there was frustration back then because that group didn't really understand how to govern. They were ideologues, and they were there really to just um, you know, push being the party of no. And then, but when it came down to how actually Washington works, they were uninterested in that. And a lot of them lost reelection in the next couple of go rounds until Trump came in and mm. gave them all a license. And now it's not about governing. It's about being professional trolls. And I think we've lost sight of what's going on here. I mean, the fact that Kevin McCarthy has been so desperate to be speaker for years and years, and everyone knows that, that's a position of weakness from the very beginning. When has being so desperate ever led to someone being an effective leader? <laughs> never. Do we know of this in history? I've never seen it. So the fact that he's already started off in a position of political weakness told me over a year ago that he would never be speaker. I've been saying this for a year and a half. And the people who are out here trolling him, the Matt Gates and Boberts and these Freedom Caucus guys who are now empowered, they've really been running the show for years. Kevin McCarthy has no spine. He hasn't stood up to anyone about anything ever, including Donald Trump after an insurrection where he almost lost his life and other members of Congress did. There was a violent insurrection and he kowtowed to that. So when you have someone that is that desperate, these guys are like political nihilists. And Kevin McCarthy is a political sadomasochist. He seems to get off and enjoy this humiliation because that's what's continuing here. They're never going to support him. And who suffers as a result? What suffers? Our democracy suffers. Let's not forget that the people who are being elevated right now as leading this group and who are given all of this airtime, Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates, Scott Perry, these guys were the leaders of the coup caucus. They yeah. are pro-insurrectionists. They're deny democracy deniers. And they're now being elevated and being given a platform as if they're normal political actors. We need to be careful about who these people are and what we're doing here what we're doing here and not calling them out for what they really stand for. The Republican Party is in chaos because they've decided to sell every principle that ever existed for the Republican Party and become a an anti-democratic, pro-authoritarian, pro-insurrectionist, chaos group of people with a person that doesn't have a spine like Kevin McCarthy, who they think is going to lead them. Good luck. Yeah. I mean, if he'd been strong enough to expel anyone who engaged in insurrection, he wouldn't be in this position because none of those people would be still be in Congress. You know, That's I mean, right. but the thing about it is, is, Brendan, I'll come back to you for a minute, because one of the differences is the 20 have a plan. 
Their plan is to just keep switching from alternative to alternative. So they first all tried to go with Jim Jordan, but Jim Jordan is with McCarthy. Then today they did this sort of, you know, not not in surprising move. They went with the black guy with Chip Chip Roy standing up and saying all sorts of things about Martin Luther King quotes. And some of them are talking Frederick Douglass. That to me felt like a full troll. And this guy was willing to go along with it. So now that they've done that, maybe tomorrow they'll come up with a different person and have a whole new theme of a person that's not Kevin McCarthy. In your view, having worked for a speaker, is there a alternative plan that whatever normies are left, maybe the one or two left in the Republican Party in the House could come up with to end this? Yeah, I'm actually excited to see who they, who they pick tomorrow. I think it will be somebody else. But they're, what they are showing is that this is an anti-Kevin vote. It's not about anybody else. And it's not actually a bad strategy for them. Their strategy is not to have an alternative because they don't necessarily want a, a choice. They just want to embarrass Kevin McCarthy until he taps out. Uh, and, you know, Kevin McCarthy has said he's, he's going to dig in for as long as it takes. And I, I don't have any reason to doubt him. I mean, the question is, are, are the rest of the, the members willing to dig in as, as long as they want. The problem is uh, you're dealing with some people who don't really bow to peer pressure because they don't really care what their colleagues think. Um, and they love this. They love being on this stage. They love that, that, that we're talking about them. This is the I mean, Freedom Caucus says they organize around conservative principles and, and process in the House. More than anything, they organize around being relevant. And right now mm-hmm. uh, they're being relevant. But in some ways, I don't really know that there was anything else Kevin McCarthy could have done. I, I, you know, having sort of been around this for so long, looking at this moment right now, it just kind of feels inevitable. At some point, this was going to happen. This conflict was going to happen. And we dealt with it during the Boehner years and we dealt with it during the, the Ryan years. And we had much more uh, difficult relationships with the Freedom Caucus than Kevin McCarthy did. And I think he mm-hmm. looked at the struggles we had and said, I'm going to try to make friends of them. And, and for the last four years, has tried to be allies of the Freedom Caucus, and this is how he's being rewarded at this point. So it doesn't yeah. really matter to me. It doesn't look like there's any real particular way you could avoid it. They were coming out for a scalp, and, and this is, mm-hmm. uh, and they seem to be following through right now. But yeah, here's I mean, the this is your kids are era. screaming. That, yeah, no, here, just really quickly, here's the difference from that era. The difference then was that you didn't have Donald Trump and social media and this mm-hmm. entire media ecosystem on the right wing elevating these people for being these nihilists. There was no, the, the people getting kicked off of committees, they wore that with a badge of valor. Marjorie Taylor Greene got to run around for two years doing nothing but troll, and she's now been elevated to a point of now she's almost establishment. She's going to be mm-hmm. rewarded with it. So these guys see this as a way, it's not about governing, it's not about policy, it's not about the American people or the Constitution. It is about their own personal agendas, and they're being rewarded for it. And that—that that is the problem here. You have to play the game that you're in. And these people are playing a game that's very dangerous for our democracy. Number one, but number two, a game that they're shameless. So the only what the only way for them to pay a price is if they are excoriated. And no mm. one has stood up to them. None of them. Yeah. And even yeah. they've now turned on Donald Trump, their leader. MAGA yeah. has turned on Trump, which is extraordinary to watch. You can't control the tiger when you bring it home as a pet. A uh, last word uh, to you on this, Sahel, um, because the one thing that they haven't tried, that Republicans haven't tried, is going to the Democrats. That seems to be the Occam's razor answer, because you do have Hakeem Jeffries six votes away from being speaker. I doubt there's six Republicans who'd vote for him. But is there any talk on the Hill of some of these Republicans saying, forget McCarthy, forget whoever else, 
cut a deal with the Democrats. There are some Republicans who have floated it, but there's no indication that this is a serious idea. In fact, one member I talked to, Republican Tom Cole, who has a reputation for being an institutionalist, told me flatly a few hours ago, this is off the table, that Republicans would much rather deal with these far-right members than mm -hmm. actually deal with centrist Democrats, that they're closer. He said the polarization is too much. And I think that tells you about all you need to yeah. know, because this ends one of two ways. If it's not McCarthy, it'll be somebody else. Somebody in the Republican caucus gives these far-right members what they want yep. and elects a speaker who keeps them on a tight leash and decides to cut that leash when they feel slighted by that speaker, yep. or they go to Democrats right now. And the, the leverage that these 10 percent rebels have mm -hmm. is that they have a very high threshold for chaos. This could come down to which side, the 90 percent or the 10 percent, has yeah. a higher threshold, for a higher tolerance, I should say, yeah. for chaos. And that you know, that whichever side caves first, uh, I think that's what it comes down and, to. And they have a high tolerance for pain for the American people because they really don't care. They, they'll get reelected no matter what they do. If they crash the economy, it doesn't matter. They're going to get reelected because of their district. Sahil Kapoor, Brendan Buck, Tara Satmire, thank you all very much. Up next on The Readout, Kevin's Nightmare. The anti-McCarthy fringe has a long wish list, and Donald Trump's endorsement is now meaningless. The Readout continues after this. This handful of members is um, uh, very clearly looking for notoriety over principle. And that's what it is. And anyone who suggests differently is um, in, in, in some kind of make-believe fantasy reality. They think they're not going to get the communities they want. Well, obviously they won't. But it's going to be so much worse than that. You know, they are enemies now. They have, they have made it clear that they prefer a Democrat agenda than a Republican one. The Republican Party is finally learning that you reap what you sow. For nearly 15 years, with the onset of the Tea Party movement that birthed the House Freedom Caucus, and now with the rise of MAGA extremists, control of the party is firmly in the hands of some of its most unhinged radical members, interested only in chaos and notoriety for themselves. It is no surprise that the 20 Republicans who are holding firm against Kevin McCarthy becoming the Speaker include 19 who are either members of the House Freedom Caucus or were recently endorsed by its campaign arm. Congressman Scott Perry is the chairman of the Freedom Caucus. Twelve of them explicitly denied the results of the 2020 election. Fourteen of the 15 incumbents voted to overturn those very electoral college results. By the way, so did Kevin McCarthy. And while 17 of these radicals were endorsed by Donald Trump in 2022, his support for McCarthy has done nothing to persuade them. Of course, some of these names may be familiar to you for other reasons. For instance, Congressman Matt Gates, Andy Biggs, and Scott Perry reportedly asked Trump for pardons. Gates relating to an ongoing federal sex trafficking investigation, and Biggs and Perry for their roles in the insurrection at the Capitol. Biggs and Perry are also among those referred by the January 6th committee to the House Ethics Committee for defying its subpoenas. The same House Ethics Committee that McCarthy has agreed to gut if he is made speaker. And let's not forget Congressman Paul Gosar, who has appeared at a white nationalist event and come to the defense of white nationalists like Nick Fuentes and whose own family, his own siblings, call him a white supremacist. Joining me now is Mark Leibovich, staff writer for The Atlantic and an MSNBC contributor, and Stuart Stevens, senior advisor to The Lincoln Project. I'm just going to throw it out there because uh, to you, I'm going to start with you at the table, Mark, because there isn't. A, uh, let me first of all read you a tweet that I think is the truest thing ever said in Republican politics in the last decade. And it is from Senator Lindsey Graham. He said, if we nominate Trump, we will get destroyed and we will deserve it. The Tea Party started, I would believe, the descent into this kind of politics. The Tea Party is a lot of this group. Trump finished it. 
And now he can't even control the mess that he's created. This is the insurrection mob that has now formed an insurrection against Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's kind of a contradiction here. I mean, yes, it is a mob. It is kind of organized around a mob principle, which doesn't have any rhyme or reason to it. But it's also a mob that empowers the individuals within the mobs to act within the mob to try to, um, you know, who, who make as much noise as possible. I mean, the, the challenge within this mob that has prevailed here is Matt Gates trying to yell louder than Andy Biggs, trying to yell louder than Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, go down the list. And you have actually what's worse than a mob. You have a mob moving in different directions mm-hmm. and sort of spreading poison in any number of ways that someone certainly like Kevin McCarthy can't control. So that's what you have now. I mean, you know, the irony or the fittingness of this is that, you know, it is it is coming back to bite the Republicans who enabled it throughout. And, you know, this is, I guess, in some ways predictable, but also still fascinating to watch. <laughs> it's fascinating to watch. You know, it's like The Walking Dead. Like, I don't know if you guys watch this show. It's, it's one of my favorite shows, The Walking Dead. But once, you know, one zombie gets in and bites some folks and then, then everybody becomes a zombie. One by one by one, yeah. they all go. And I feel like that's what the Republican Party has been like since 2010. They keep getting bitten and then they go and go and then and soon you're in a room full of zombies and you can't get out of the warehouse. <laughs> but I feel like that's where Kevin McCarthy is. He's the, the, the guy who's still not a zombie looking around and being like, I fed all my friends to the zombies thinking that would save me, but now they're eating me. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, I like that analogy. Um, you know, I, I really think um, if we look at it just as sort of the crazies over here and the same people over here, uh, we're looking at it incorrectly. They are all zombies. I mean, when Crenshaw gets up there and says they're only interested in attention, this is a guy that backed Donald Trump for president. Very few of these people in the same portion of the Republican Party sitting in that House will assert that the president of the United States of the Congress in which they serve was legally elected. I mean, just think about that. I mean, that, that's that's how far they've moved where the normal line is. So the crazies are over <laughs> here. And when you do that, I mean, we used to, we used to say this in politics all the time. We, you only stand for election, you don't stand for anything. And the reason that they can't unify these people is because they have no unifying governing principle. You, They, they don't stand for anything except power, for the sake of power. So you can't get up there and make a plea like, this is really going to hurt our dedication to smaller government. They don't believe in smaller government. This is really going to hurt our dedication to freedom, like, you know, reduce. uh, Mostly half these people support Putin. So uh, when the party is just collapsed, and this is all playing itself out, and that anybody that thinks that this party is worth saving this is just proof that it's a fantasy. Well, again, it's the zombie analogy, right? I mean, at a certain point, you just have to lock the barn because everyone in there is a zombie. I mean, the reality is back in the day, right, in the olden days, the, the, the speaker is part of their job is to raise money, which is why putting forward these newbies like the Florida, the guy from Florida is ridiculous because part of the job is to raise money and distribute it. Kevin McCarthy did that. He gave money to just about all of the people who are now standing in his way and helped them. People like Lauren Boebert barely got reelected. She's now, I mean, she got elected by like 400 votes, you know, but for Kevin, some of these people would have had money troubles. So it doesn't matter that he gave money, right? I mean, and, and to mark, mark this to you, I mean, that none of the old things, that the, old, the old, you know, practices of politics work anymore in the Republican Party writ large, not just these people. So what happens next? Well, I mean, it's not only just the the rewards sort of system. It's 
people used to come to Congress wanting to gain the respect of their peers. They right. wanted to get committee assignments. They wanted to, you know, pass bills. I mean, that seems so quaint now in retrospect. And and I guess I would, I mean, I agree with Stewart, but I also would quibble with the word power. I mean, it's, I mean, Republicans have power. Yeah. I mean, is this party worth saving? You know, you could argue certainly not in its current form, but they also have power. They have enough. They're worth. They're deemed worth saving enough for enough people in the country to vote for members of Congress and members of the Senate with ours next to their name. Um, but you know, there's power doesn't really matter if you you define power by your ability to get on Fox, get on Breitbart, whatever, which is you know where you have a, a good portion of the caucus. Yeah. Sort of like, thinking about. I'm thinking about it. And Stuart, I mean, it's all funny and we can eat popcorn and enjoy the sort of spiraling mess, you know, the, the roadshow until we have a national security crisis and we need the House to get involved sure. or until there's a hurricane, you know, that needs funding for recovery in Florida or Louisiana or until there's a national security problem or until Ukraine comes up for its next round of funding and this same group says no or we need to do the debt ceiling. So, I mean, the, the challenge is, is that it has to be fixed at some point because of that. So in your mind, is there an out, a person outside Congress? Because, you know, they can go outside Congress. It doesn't have to be someone yeah. inside. Can you think of anyone outside of Congress who's a Republican, a conservative, that could be nominated and become speaker? No, I can't because <laughs> that person would have to be able to unify people that can't agree on anything. I, I Look, um, we do have a national security crisis. Well, all of those problems that you mentioned uh, are going on in some way or another. And this is where you really have to give credit, I think, to the Biden administration for what they've been able to do. Think about it. I mean, they're out there basically putting together a coalition to save the, the world, the, the free world with Ukraine. Um, they, they passed an infrastructure bill. They actually got stuff done. Yeah. And it's incredibly difficult to do that when you have people that don't even think that you're president. <laughs> you're, you're supposed to bother Congress for the administration. You're out there. They don't even think you're God's president. And they're yeah. still getting stuff done. Oh, no. So, some of them I mean, think he's a hologram. <laughs> some of them think he's not even real. <laughs> so, look, I, I think that where we are now is when people that want to save the Republican Party for what it is, they have to sort of come to grips with reality and they have to be willing to vote for Democrats who may disagree with them on certain issues, because otherwise this insanity is going to continue. It is yeah. only going to stop when they feel pain and pain is lost in politics. You have to beat these people. You can't convert them. You can't speak logic mm -hmm. to them. Crenshaw's right in that sense. Because they don't care about anything. So yeah. these are people that you have to just burn this to the ground. Well, I mean, I think the good news for America is that I think they're going to do that by themselves for the next two years. They're not going to be legislating. They're going to be doing more of this act for two years, leaving Biden free to use executive orders to govern, in which case the contrast mm -hmm. is going to be pretty stark. Not sure whoever gets this horrible job of speaker will even last more than two years in it. Mark Leibovich, Stuart Stevens, thank you both very much. Still ahead. The real head scratcher in all of this is that Kevin McCarthy has been the Republican far right's greatest enabler for years. So why do they hate him so darn much? We'll be right back. For nearly two decades, the Republican Party has been held hostage by a group of mercenaries. Over the years, their power has grown stronger, not weaker. Today, in the wake of a Trump presidency, they continue to show that they pledge allegiance to no one and they will not be badgered into submission. 
What they have proven is this, that this remains an ungovernable and ungoverning congressional Republican Party. And then there's Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has proven something else, that there is a brand of political arsonist who is willing to sell out to the establishment, whether it's cozying up to the president of the United States, even to the point of promising him QAnon forces to overturn his election laws, or allying herself with the man who is numerically incapable of becoming Speaker of the House in exchange, not for some grand conservative principle, but for power for herself, for committee assignments. In short, this experiment has proven that this former literal troll turned congresswoman has only one kind of MAGA principle, in unslakeable and unslakeable thirst for power. Joining me now is former Republican congressman and former advisor to the House Judiciary, the House January 6th Committee, Denver Riggleman. Um, great to see you. And you you tweeted something earlier that got us to uh, really start bugging you to come on tonight. You tweeted, uh, the irony of this, of this is stunning. McCarthy's narcissism and fecklessness put him here. You can't always be the outside spoon with crazy. I feel like that needs to be on a T-shirt. <laughs> I mean, talk about this because the thing about it is, no, it was, it's a good line. I, I might, if I steal it, don't sue me. <laughs> It'll be on the shirt. Uh, the thing that's so wild about it is that J- Kevin McCarthy went out of his way to let the insurrectionists off the hook. He himself voted against certifying the Arizona electors. He participated and he enabled them. It got him nothing. His, sl- his, his, you know, bending the knee for Trump got him nothing. How do you read all this? You know, it's like, you know, I used to be a bouncer for my dad's bar, Joy. And I remember, you know, he would look at me and say, you know, Dan, I was I was guarding the door and he'd say, hey, he goes, Dan, hey, hey, son. He goes, I don't know if we should let that guy in. He looks like he's one scoop short of a Sunday, you know, <laughs> and um, I think I think what you have is a lot of people who are, you know, one scoop short of a Sunday are making decisions in Congress right now. Um, yeah. But the thing is, I, you know, I, this might be unpopular what I'm about to say, but I don't know if we can blame the, the congressmen or women specifically. I think you got to also look at the voters. They're doing yes. what the base wants to do. And and I'm a Republican, right? I was a Republican, right? I had to deal with this. And what I'm seeing are fundraising. There are fundraising emails going out right now, Joy, from those 20 individuals trying to raise money on the fact that they're somehow like holding on to this mantle of decency to go against McCarthy and mm-hmm. even ending their emails with appeal to God. So I think what you have here is really a combination of the base and individuals who want power and TV time. And that's why you're seeing the crazy in Congress right now. Well, I mean, and I think that's I like that you say that said that because we always try to make it sound like these members of Congress just exist in a vacuum. People are voting for them. And and, and the Republican base at some point stopped wanting actual uh, policy and stopped wanting things out of Washington. They just want the theater of owning the libs. And so they are doing what their base apparently wants, right, because they get reelected doing it. But they're also getting the support. Uh, let me just put this up. There, there was a, a group of 26 conservatives who put out a letter backing this. And it's not regular Joe Average voters. It's people like Ginny Thomas. It's people like Cleta Mitchell, who helped in the insurrection. Um, it's Jenny Beth Martin, a Tea Party, the co-founder of the Tea Party Patriots, who was at the Stop the Steal rally. Brent Bozell, the, the, this guy who does this right-wing media research thing. You can go on. Ed Meese, Ed Meese III, Reagan's attorney general. So if there's a group of people who are serious you know, right wing people who are now backing this effort. What do you make of that? Well, you know, they still think that, you know, that they have this sort of uh, permission, even though they are election deniers, maybe helped in planning. I mean, look at Cleta Mitchell and Jenny Thomas. I mean, it's just incredible that they have no shame going out there now to go against 
McCarthy, no shame. And it shows that, you know, we have a diseased system. You know, the two-party system is diseased, but the whole right, the, the, the far right is in a hold my beer moment right now. <laughs> so, in the, in the, in the, you know, the issue is, is that you have the cat doing this, the conservative action project, I believe, right? And the people that you see on there, you have Frank Gaffney on there too, Joy. I mean, you've got people mm-hmm. on there that are no kidding, stop to steal adherence. Some of them QAnon disciples. We know that even from the Jenny Thomas text messages. So at this point, do we take them seriously? Well, we have to, because the yeah. base would take them seriously. And if they're using this hyperbole and outrage and this sort of idiotic country fried crazy, right, to do these type of things, a lot of that is coming from the base. And I just want people to realize that there are a lot of voters out there who believe that this is the right thing. And to right. somehow to, to dismiss them or to minimize them, I think is a humongous mistake. And I've been saying that for two years, and you know that. It's a humongous yeah. mistake. Absolutely. Are there enough of what used to be norm core Republican voters, people like my father who leaned, you know, was very Reaganite, who who want something else. Are there enough of those voters left in the Republican base to form something else? Because I know that there have been some Republicans who are trying to ease out of the party and think about it. It just feels like a third party is so hard to form and get enough support for. Is this just what the Republican Party is until it just basically dies? Uh, this is what it is, but it isn't going to die. So I would say, no, there's not enough voters. And the third, I think a third party right now might be great, but I think, I think the crazies are looking for a split. And I think it's going to be very difficult for a third party right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a wild world we live in, man. Uh, well, thank you for being here. And thank you for letting me use your great saying on a t-shirt one day. <laughs> so thank yeah, you, Denver. can't be the outside spoon with crazy. Don't be Can't be the outside spoon with crazy. It's a good <laughs> one. Your name flip. should be on the shirt if somebody makes it. Thank you very much. Former Congressman Denver Riggleman. Cheers. Okay, up next. If all this drama has you wondering, how hard could it be to politic up 20 votes to become Speaker of the House? Yeah, pay attention, Kevin. Nancy Pelosi is going to show you how it's done. Back in a second. This has been an extremely embarrassing time for Kevin McCarthy, especially when you compare him to Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who will go down as one of America's greatest speakers and who managed throughout her speakership, dating back to 2007, to wrangle a group of lawmakers, the Democrats, who are far more racially and ideologically diverse than the almost solidly white Christian and overwhelmingly male Republicans. She got them to vote for her and for her. For example, when Democrats regained the majority in 2018, Pelosi was facing Democrats who had won seats in part by promising to not support her for speaker. Sixteen Democrats publicly came out against her. And when House Democrats held their nominating election, 32 voted against her in a secret ballot. But Nancy Pelosi being Nancy Pelosi, she was able to flip enough Democrats using the thing that makes a speaker a good speaker, persuasion, so that by the time the vote got to the floor— She was able to marshal 220 votes, losing just 15 of her colleagues. As she said in a new documentary, quote, if I didn't know I had the votes, I wouldn't be running. In 2021, Democrats had a much narrower margin and Pelosi was still able to unite most of the party into voting her, voting for her for speaker. Ironically, Kevin McCarthy at the time won every Republican vote on the floor, but he still lost to her. Today, the Democrats were what you might call in array, delivering unanimous votes to Speaker Pelosi's handpicked successor, Hakeem Jeffries of New York, in every ballot so far. Take a lesson, Kevin. Joining me now is Democratic Congressman Joe Naguz of Colorado. Uh, Congressman-elect now, nobody's been sworn in. Um, but Congressman, let's talk about that difference. Because Speaker Pelosi, it's not as if she's never had opposition, but she is actually good at the job. This mess that you're seeing on the other side of the aisle, what do you make of it? 
Well, good to be with you, Joy. Uh, good evening. Look, I certainly agree with you uh, that uh, Speaker Pelosi's skills are, of course, unmatched, but also the salient difference between the two respective parties in the House of Representatives is pretty clear to me, which is that we have shared values in the Democratic caucus that ultimately resonate with the vast majority of the American people, and we are committed to governing. We are here to deliver results for the American people. It is why we are unified and united and focused on ultimately doing what we need to do uh, to address the consequential challenges of our time. Unfortunately, the Republican caucus is not. They are disinterested and incapable of governing. And we have seen that on full display over the course of the last 48 hours and the unprecedented moment that we find ourselves in, as you've articulated, in which the House of Representatives has literally not organized for the first time in a century. So it's a sad day for the country, a sad day for the House of Representatives, in my view, as an institution. I hope the Republicans can uh, get their act together and, and we can get to the business of governing for the good of the American people. You know, what's really amazing is, you know, historically, the House and Senate have been just all white guys. And so at the end of the day, they were demographically similar enough and not that far apart in ideas that they could tip O'Neill it out, right? The Democrats have been described as the Tower of Babel, or even sometimes a herd of cats, right? Tower of Babel of herd of, or herd of cats, whichever one, because it's such a diverse party. It's literally every kind of person in America, every race, every, you know, sexual identity, everything is in the Democratic party. And yet, as you said, there's some shared values there. Republicans are not that far apart. They either want to gut Social Security or get rid of it. That's the range, right? They either want to give poor people nothing or give them less than nothing. It's not like they're that different. What do you suppose is the reason that they dislike Kevin McCarthy? He'll give them everything they want. Uh, that's a good question, Joy. I suppose one that I would pose to all for my, colleagues, my <laughs> colleagues on the other side of the aisle. I mean, look, you know, the, the Democratic Party is the big tent party in America, and certainly that is the case in the House of Representatives. Ethnically diverse, ideologically diverse, right? Uh, runs the gamut in terms of the various views of my colleagues in the House Democratic Caucus, and yet united by shared values, defending democracy, defending freedom working to create better paying jobs, lower costs, safer communities for all Americans across our country. Those values are shared by Americans writ at large. Unfortunately, the extreme Republicans have clearly taken over the House Republican caucus. Uh, you have a leader in Mr. McCarthy who is literally giving away the store, demand after demand that he is meeting uh, of the extreme right wing of his caucus. And I think the American people should be deeply concerned about what's happening yeah. in Washington tonight. Let me play what um, Congresswoman-elect Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said about whether or not this idea that's being floated, that there could be the Democrats could sort of combine with some Republicans and get a consensus candidate. Take a listen. Is there anyone in their caucus that can build that consensus? If there isn't, uh, McCarthy's team may have to come to the Democratic Party. And if that's the case— then what would that even look like? It's rather unprecedented. Could it result in a potential coalition government? Could we get Democratic chairs of committees uh, as a result? We don't know. Uh, centrist Republican Don Bacon has said something similar. He's out of Nebraska. Is that even possible? Uh, look, Joy, I think it's highly unlikely. I mean, I think what uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez was articulating is that ultimately House Democrats very much are interested in governing. We're looking for a governance partner. We want to try to address some of the consequential challenges we face to find consensus, forge common ground. We do not have a governing partner in Washington right now because the House Republicans are in chaos and crisis and confusion. And until they resolve their differences, it is unlikely that we're going to yeah. be able to ultimately deliver results. So, look, I, from my vantage point, 
We're going to stay united behind the one person who has gotten the most votes consistently across the last 48 hours. And that's Hakeem Jeffries. And we should pose the question Mm. to our Republican colleagues of when they may start entertaining, supporting uh, leader Jeffries for speaker, given that he is the one who's consistently winning these votes. He's got the most votes. Uh, Your uh, colleague, your fellow Coloradan, uh, uh, Lauren Boebert, is going to be on with my colleague, Stephanie Rule, later on today. What do you expect her to do? Do you think she'll ever change her mind and, I don't know, vote for someone? Uh, Joy, I would I'd hesitate to make a prediction on that front. I'll I'll look forward to watching the program uh, and we we can talk after. Okay, thank you very much, Congressman Joe Naguz. Let me just let you all know that Kevin McCarthy has uh, now told the, uh, the media that talks should continue. Instead of having a vote at eight, you are looking at the House floor right now. But it, at least according to what Kevin McCarthy is saying, there will likely not be a vote tonight. He'd like to continue talking and see if he can get anywhere. Um, so there we go. Um, so coming up, as House Republicans tear themselves apart, President Biden continues to teach the children how to govern. More next. Today, amid the Republican House fiasco, President Biden made a trip to Kentucky, where he was joined by the Republican Senate leader, Mitch McConnell, to tout the Democrats' trillion-dollar infrastructure bill. Picks or it didn't happen. There you have it. Biden and McConnell shaking hands. The rare joint contingent gathered in front of the Brent Spence Bridge. That's the one you see further to the left. It is a dilapidated bridge that connects Ohio and Kentucky. It's a dangerous one, too, the scene of traffic jams and accidents like the Republican Party deemed functionally obsolete. The Biden infrastructure deal supported by 19 Republican senators, including McConnell, will change that, allocating more than $1.6 billion to improve the bridge. McConnell called the funding a legislative miracle. We all know these are really partisan times, but I always feel no matter who gets elected, once it's all over, we ought to look for things we can agree on and try to do those. Mitch, what? Who said none of those words when Trump was president? Who said not too long ago that 100 percent of his focus was on stopping this new administration, not on building bridges, which may explain why Kentucky is among the poorest and hungriest states in the country, despite having arguably the most powerful single senator? because of the obstructionist, hyper-partisan way Mitch McConnell has chosen to govern, especially since the days when Joe Biden was vice president to a guy named Barack Obama. And yet, President Biden chose simply to Biden, praising his old frenemy at the podium. Leader McConnell, I don't agree on everything. In fact, we disagree on a lot of things, but here's what matters. He's a man of his word. He's willing to find common ground to get things done for the country. Man, just can't stop biting. Vice President Harris and Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg visited bridges today as well in Illinois and Connecticut. Action in the face of so much inaction among House Republicans. It is a jarring split screen of America. House Republicans embroiled in an historic failure to pick a speaker, while President Biden and the Democrats are out there governing. But the chaos on the House floor signals an even more jarring reality that the next two years will be much like President Obama's final two, with the president having to frequently act alone to get anything done. It is another reminder of every single election's very high stakes. And that is tonight's readout.